Hey everyone, you are listening to part two of Passover and the four steps to personal breakthrough on the Empowered Jewish Living podcast. Thank you so much for being here. So happy and excited that you are joining us. If you missed part one, just go back one episode. I think that you will find value in starting the series from the beginning of it. And uh, as I spoke about in the beginning of the last podcast, this is a repost of a series that was given about two years ago, and I'm reposting it now in honor of the release of my new book, The Four Elements of Inner Freedom. It was this series that began this journey of writing this new book. It's where I really lay out the ideas for the first time. And uh, if you have the new book, The Four Elements of Inner Freedom, you'll enjoy listening to these podcasts while you're reading it. And if you don't, then I think that as you listen to these episodes, you'll be like, hey, you know what? It sounds pretty good. I think I should pick up a copy of the book. And you can do so by checking out our website, levx.org, or the publisher's website, mosaicapress.com, or Amazon, or your local bookstore, wherever you get your Jewish books, you will find it and take a look at it, purchase it now before Pesach so you could read it and come into the Passover Seder with something deep and inspiring and beautiful and practical and relevant. But in the meantime, here we go. Enjoy this class, Passover and the Four Steps to Personal Breakthrough, Part 2. This is the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast, where we explore the beauty of Judaism, the depth of Jewish wisdom, and how to live a more empowered life. So part two of the four cups of personal breakthrough. So a quick recap. Last week we discussed the four different stages of the Exodus, the four different stages of redemption. And we said that the four cups of the Pesach Seder The four cups that we drink, each one corresponds to a different term of redemption. So if you remember them, you could say it with me. Vehotseisi, and I will take you out. Vehitsalti, and I will save you. Vigaalti, I will redeem you. And Vilakachti, I will take you to me as a nation. And we said, according to the commentaries, that these uh, four terms of redemption... These four terms, each one of them has its own cup at the Pesach Seder. So as we drink each cup, the cups themselves um, correspond to the different terms of redemption. The different terms correspond to the four cups of redemption. And those, according to the commentaries, each one connects to one of the stages of the action of the redemption of the exodus so we have i will take you out that meant the physical bondage so that's when they stopped working they were still in egypt they just stopped working then i will take you out is actually when they physically left egypt i will redeem you those are the miracles that happened by the splitting of the sea and the other miracles that happened and then I will take you to me. That was the Jewish people receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. So that's the the first thing that we need to know. And again, that is a beautiful idea. Please make sure to say that over at your Pesach Seder because it's just so beautiful and so perfect and so insightful. But then we said, let's try to go a little bit deeper. We want to know why. Why did God choose to unroll this plan of redemption? Why did it have to be in four different stages? Why couldn't it all be 
why couldn't it all happen at once? What was the purpose of doing it in four different stages? If it, it uh, unless somehow or another, we're supposed to look into these four and each four, each one of the four was a redemption in itself. So we looked into some of the different commentaries and we said, yes, actually there were four, the, the, the enslavement itself in Egypt, there were four aspects of the enslavement in Egypt. What could those four aspects, and therefore the four different stages, each one is connected to one aspect of slavery that they experienced. And obviously there were some that were even deeper and deeper and deeper than others. And therefore as the redemption process unfolds, there's another layer of enslavement that's being removed. So how can we understand what these four different levels of enslavement are? And there's many different ways that one can answer that question, but the unique approach that I want to take answering this question has to do with the four different parts of our, the four different levels of our inner world. And that's where we, where we, what we, the, the idea that we introduced last week, and we said what those four different parts are, are the level, the, the, the physical, our physical bodies, our emotions, our intellect, and our will. And we're going to explain those a little bit more. Right? Some people like to call it the spirit, but I don't like calling it the spirit because spirit and soul end up getting confused with each other. And the soul is, is, is something different. The soul is our spiritual aspect, the part that connects us to God, that's infused into the four different realms. That is certainly true. But to me, I prefer calling it the physical level, the emotional level, the intellectual level, and the level of the will. And we'll, it will explain a little bit more today what each one of those are. All four of those were enslaved in Mitzrayim, in Egypt. And then first there was the physical part, the physical redemption, the physical liberation, the emotional liberation, and the, the, the liberation of the mind, and ultimately the freedom of the will. That's a little bit of a, of a recap from last week. And we said that when we look at the, the idea of there being four elements of creation, we see this a lot in Kabbalah and in other ancient philosophies, right? that a human being has in them the four elements, obviously not, not um, literally, not literal, but the, our inner worlds are compared to these four elements. So we have our physical body is compared to the earth. We say that it comes from the earth, meaning it's compared to the earth. Our emotions are like water. Our thoughts are like wind. And our will is like fire. And I think that the connection between those is, is quite obvious. That's a recap of last week. Any questions before we begin going a little bit deeper today? And you please don't hesitate. If you have a question, feel free to ask. Okie dokie. So here in this handout, you see again the four different terms, the four cups, the four terms of redemption, the four different stages, and the four elements. Let's try. Let's take a look at the four elements. Here's a little 
chart if you like to see things in triangles as opposed to squares you're into a little geometry here um so you see it over here as a little bit of a chart um but let's try to understand a little bit about the four elements and once we understand the four elements we'll be able to learn the lessons as we go through the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, the story of the Exodus, we'll be able to learn about each one of these struggles once we're aware of the struggle that happens in each one of them. So what we find many times in many of the ancient works of self-development and self-growth, that all of our negative traits, all the things that drive you crazy about yourself and about everyone else in your life, all stem, they're all rooted in one of the four elements. And each one of the four elements has a root negative trait. And from that root negative trait, all other negative traits are, are born, which in my opinion is very, very helpful when you're trying to grow as a human being, because, you know, I've seen lists of like, you know, 250 different character traits that we have. So go ahead and start working on 250 things and tell me how that works out for you. Right? I want make me as simple as possible, right? I want to know the inner genome of what it means to be a human being. Make me as simple as possible so I can actually have some place to start. And if you think about if, if and if we could pin down the source, the root of all of our traits, and we can make it simple, then we can work on those roots, and then from there, all positive character traits will be born. So our Kabbalists teach us that the four character traits that are connected, the four negative traits, the four struggles, the four obstacles that are connected to the four elements are connected to earth which is the physical realm, is sluggishness, depression, sadness, or, or the feeling of, of, of heaviness. Right? So because the physical is really, in a sense, the most base part of ourselves, it has the most form of all the others, so that's the most external. We have a physical body, which is our vehicle in this world, and it needs to be maintained. And in order for it to be maintained, it needs basic maintenance, like air, like uh, food, and other things to keep it going. So it's really just our very base, very prime, the very base primal part of ourselves. Um, when we speak about the earth element, the earth element, I've, I've said this, you know, in, in the past, and forgive me for being repetitive, but the earth element is fine with bread and water. The earth element doesn't need sushi. The earth element doesn't need to go out to fancy restaurants. The earth element wants to remain alive. That's its desire. And we know that even the, the, the most basic forms of life that roam this planet, right, even animals have that, we're just the need for survival. But the animalistic part of ourselves, the part that needs survival, has this little voice, this little built-in voice in our head that tells us that uh, we're being threatened. Right? It's the, the, it's, you know, almost the caveman part of ourself, right? That tells us like, there isn't enough. There aren't enough resources. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? It creates worry. It creates insecurity and it creates fear. And from there, jealousy is born as well, because from jealousy comes like, you know, maybe there's not enough for both of us. And maybe if you are being successful, maybe that's coming at my expense. 
But again, the earth element itself, that's what, when we speak about the earth element, we're speaking just about the part of us that is looking that, that is looking for survival and that is concerned for our future, whether or not we will be able to survive. The earth element inside of us is not ambitious. The earth element inside of us is not motivated. The minute that the earth element inside of us feels that it's secure, okay, I have enough in my bank account that I'm able to pay my bills. Now let me go watch TV. Let me go to sleep. Let me chill out. The earth element does not want to accomplish anything more than what is necessary to remain alive. Can you think about this for a moment and just become totally aware and totally in tune of this part of ourselves, right? Now, again, this is not you, you're motivated, you have, because we're gonna discuss, you have other elements. That being said, it's important when we're trying to grow to be able to isolate and become in tune to certain parts of ourselves, because we know that we have different voices that exist inside of us, right? So the very fact that sometimes you're motivated and sometimes you're not, means that those are two different parts of your character. The reason why sometimes you feel great, sometimes within the same day, right? You feel great about yourself, you feel lousy about yourself. Yeah, I'm crushing it. Oh, I'm doing terrible, right? And, like, and we go back and forth like this. <coughs> the reason that we do is that we, we have different personalities that are inside of us. I feel holy, I feel impure. Right? And, and that can happen within the same day. I feel so connected to God and I feel so different because we have these different parts of ourselves, which we become conscious of. Our consciousness is like an elevator that goes on all these different floors. And sometimes it's on happy floor and sometimes it's on sad floor, right? And you don't ever look at an elevator and say, oh, I don't understand this elevator, right? I, I thought it's on the fourth floor, but it's really on the third. No, it's an elevator. It moves from one to the next. And therefore, we also move in between these different inner realms so that we can feel, we can have inner contradictions, but they're not inner contradictions because we have different human beings that are existing inside of us. So if we had to strip away everything and just isolate the realm of earth, then what we would find is a very sluggish um, lazy, perhaps sad, perhaps depressed, lacking motivation, that part of ourself, right, which is one that many of us are familiar with, because I don't, there, not a day goes by <clears throat> that we don't in some way experience the earth element that's inside of us. The purpose of this class is to focus on the story of the Exodus, but God willing, when the book comes out, as you'll see in the book, which does not focus on the story of the Exodus, it focuses on our patriarchs and the early stories of the Torah. <coughs> but as you'll see in the earliest stories of the Torah, the personality that's represented by this is Cain, Cain who kills Abel. Why does Cain kill Abel? He's the worker of the earth, right? The earth element, and he kills uh, he kills Hevel because he's jealous and he's sad and he gets depressed. And based on that, he goes ahead and he feels this tremendous jealousy towards his brother. 
And he is the embodiment, so to speak, of the earth element, of this feeling of insecurity. I'm not good enough. What's going to happen? My whole world is going to shatter. That's all coming from the earth element. Um, it's, it's, I, I, it's important to me to know. I just want to make sure, please, if, if this is not clear, if this is complicated, this doesn't resonate with you, I, I would love to know it because it's such an, such an important point. So anything to ask or to add to this? If you can just click, even if you can click, if this is resonating with you, and if you can sort, when you think about this, if you can think to yourself, yeah, like that, that sounds right. Like I can detect that I have that earth element inside. Can you just click a little, like we give, give me, give me the, the hands up icon if you know how to, okay, good. Or just put your thumbs up is also <laughs> counts. Okay, good. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right, good. So that is the earth element. And that is the first thing that we need to contend with as human beings. But as we've said early on when we first taught this in Kabbalah over a year ago, as human beings, we are not limited to the earth element and we go through life and we have emotions. And then we get to a fascinating second level, second floor or second realm, and that is the realm of water. Something very interesting happens at the realm of water. The realm of water looks for pleasure, but pleasure can come in many different ways. Pleasure can come from very much the same things that the earth element is looking for, except in a heightened way. So that means that because the earth element wants food, the water element can say, hey, once you're having food, why don't you enjoy that food? Um, the earth element says, I need sleep. The water element says, why don't we sleep on a comfortable bed? The earth element says, we need to procreate. The water element says, okay, well then why don't we try to have, uh, you know, a very much, why don't we turn that into a much more pleasurable experience, right? Let's make sex. That's, that's something that's very, that that's full of, full of pleasure and full of, you know, lust and passion and desire. So on the very base level of the water element, the water element is looking to take, the, to take our life and say, this is not just about survival, but this is about experiencing it. This is about enjoying it. But there is a scale even within the, the water realm, and that is that that's not the ultimate pleasure. What the ultimate pleasure is that exists on the water realm is the pleasure of love and of connection, because that's really what the emotions want. So while one might think that the, the, the dopamine hit that you get when you're having a really delicious uh, steak or when you're having a very, very pleasurable ex experience is something different than the great warm feeling inside that you feel when you're falling in love or when someone or when you're when you're in the care of someone who or the affection when you're receiving the affection of someone who you deeply love we know those are both very pleasurable experiences we might not necessarily associate it with the same level inside ourselves but in fact they are i don't want to say they're one and the same because they're different but they're all rooted in the same place and because of that, as human beings, as we 
are looking for a pleasurable experience in this life, we are oscillating between, we're looking where to find it. And therefore, right, what does the, you know, what, what, what is the guy or the girl, what do they do right after they just found out that their couple, that their the partner is breaking up with them? Where do they go first? Often they go to the refrigerator, right? Or, you know, someone who is going through a lot of pain might try to drown out that pain, even though it's an emotional pain, they might drown it out with the substance that gives them physical pleasure. Why? Because the pleasure is coming from the same place. Yeah, water represents, I'm reading from the comment on the side, water represents emotions, all of them good and bad. Is that a question or that's a statement? A statement. Yeah, it's a statement, you know, and, and I agree. So therefore, you'll find many times that water is a symbol of love. Hydrogen and oxygen are two polarities coming together to become one. Water is flexible. Water is the giving of life. But water is also physical sustenance. The world cannot function without rain. Rain gives, rain gives all, all pleasure begins, the whole pleasure cycle begins with rainfall nourishing the earth. So therefore, the water realm is the realm of pleasure. And therefore, one could, one could say that at one extreme is love. By the way, one of the reasons why we often fall in love around physical pleasure right? We go on a date and we'll take the person out to eat more than that, more than it's, you know, good activity. But there is something about we want to be in a place where that part of our brain is open to experiencing pleasure. We want, and, and the more that we feel pleasure together, that pleasure will unlock love. So when you're having, uh, when, when, when you're having a very, very close physical connection through a hug or any sort of intimacy that two people are having that will unlock feelings of love. What, now, why should that be? Why should it be that the very same thing that someone can be so lustful, you know, uh, lustful and, and, and an act that can be so degrading is also the very same act that will be the expression of two people falling in love. That's because all pleasure comes from this place. And that is the realm of water. So water is both un unlocks the key to both love, but also unlocks the key to lust. That is all happening on the realm of water. Any questions on that? And I'm, again, I'm judging by your facial expressions that this is resonating and that it is making sense. But again, if it's not, please feel free to let me know. Okay, now we move up to the next realm, the next level, and that is wind, the level of wind. And wind, wind corresponds to our intellect, to our thoughts. And just like wind itself, wind is all about movement. Wind moves and you feel it when it's moving. Sometimes it's a cool, soft breeze. And sometimes it is windy and it's, you know, turning your umbrella inside out or, you know, blowing your yarmulke off if you happen to wear a yarmulke, which as I'm looking around, I'm seeing that maybe that was that example only applies to me right over here. <laughs> but, uh, but it blows your hat off or it messes up your hair. So our thoughts are also very much similar to wind in the sense that our thoughts are constantly moving. Thoughts are not stable. Thoughts come and thoughts go. The train of thinking. 
And sometimes those thoughts are calm and they're settling and they're cool. And sometimes they're rapid and they're just blowing through. Um, our power of speech is most connected to our intellect. Right? Our speech really, even though they, they, they're often there to express our emotions, um, they, they need to exist in all realms, but it's most directly connected to the intellect because it's through my intellect that I can articulate what's going on inside and I could express it. So therefore, conversation, speech, is also connected to the element of wind. So therefore, wind used correctly will result in um, clarity of thinking, pursuit of truth, thinking that moves me forward like the wind pushes something ahead. So it'll be thinking that, I, that, that helps me understand the world around me. I'm in pursuit of knowledge. I'm in pursuit of knowing more. I'm learning more. And because of that, usually what you're thinking about is what you want to speak about. The wizards are not very good this year, so I haven't been following very much of the wizards. So therefore, my conversations are not about the wizards because that's not what I'm thinking about. Pesach is coming up, so I find myself having a lot of conversations about Pesach because that's what's on my mind. You express what you're thinking about. So when you find human beings that are had that look that want to have uh, conversations that are meaningful conversations, that's because that's how they spend their time. When you read a good book, you want to talk about it. When you watch a good movie, you want to talk about it. So if you're growing, if your thoughts are growing, and if you're in a space of learning, your conversations will be meaningful. The people that want to have superficial, boring conversations, you will push them out of your life. If, however, your brain is scattered all over the place, you're constantly distracted, or you spend too much time scrolling social media and just going wherever your feed takes you, wherever those, you know, little, you know, little imaginary people that are in the social dilemma movie, you know, that are behind all those computers trying to get you addicted, right? And then that will result, that will be your life. Just very briefly going back to the Torah. After the story of Cain, the next major story in the Torah is the story of Noah and the flood. So the flood, the, the, the generation of the flood, what were they guilty of? They were guilty of being very lustful. How did God choose to destroy them? With water. That corresponds to the water realm. The very next story in the Torah is a story of, especially for those who go to the Tuesday morning class with Devorah, you know, that it is the Tower of Bavel. What did they try to do? The Tower of Bavel, it says they were united by their speech. That's, what, that's how the Torah identifies. They were united by their speech, right? Let's all get together, right? This sort of group think, like all, like, you know, we can't think for ourselves, but we're all united by our speech, and therefore they make this plan, this very twisted plan to somehow try to unite and rebel against God. And God's response is, I'm going to scatter you, scatter you like the wind. So that corresponds to that next level, the level of the intellect. So that is, uh, that is wind. So again, we have earth, which is the primal concern of just remaining alive. We have water, which is lust versus love. And then we have wind, which is really pursuit of truth or pursuit of levity, things that don't really matter. Any questions about the wind element? Okay.
And then finally, we have we get to the, the top of our triangle, and that is fire. And fire is, is really all-inclusive of all of the other realms that are below it. Fire doesn't necessarily have as much of its own properties, but what fire does is fire takes all of the other properties and says, I want to rise to the top. Fire is always rising up. Fire destroys anything that gets in its way. Right. So what fire does is fire is about willpower. It's about self-actualization. So in all of these realms, right, it wants to be the best at it. It wants to raise the earth element to the top, the water element to the top. On, on the level of fire, we don't just we don't want to just be another uh, another human being in the world. We want to be a leader. We want to be somebody. We want to self-actualize, self-esteem, ego, arrogance. All of that falls under fire. And some of that can be positive because when you're driven to something, when you say, I'm going to build this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to accomplish this, I'm going to become a leader, that is the positive expression of fire. The negative expression of fire is arrogance. The feeling of, I can't really be a leader. I can't really feel self-worth. So therefore, I'm going to look for externalities. And through those externalities, I'm going to get a sense of self-worth. Someone who says, I am crushing it. I am really a great person because just look at my bank account. And again, there's nothing. It is, it is the w wonderful, amazing blessing to have a bank account that has you know, lots of zeros in the right places. That is an absolute blessing. But if a person measures their self-worth by that, then that would be considered one of the obstacles or one of the flaws within the realm of, of, of fire. If when you go out, you feel that um, you need to uh, establish yourself solely based on your clothing or the car that you drive or the home that you own, that would be the element of fire used incorrectly which is one of the reasons why in the book of Bereshis, the next flawed community was that of Sidom. We know that Sidom was one of the most affluent cities in, um, in Israel, in the land of Canaan at the time. And their affluence caused them to go corrupt. And if you could think in the United States of America, cities that put so much of their focus on money or on power, and often that does lead to corruption. That's... Sodom, that's the element of fire used the wrong way. You know, we can think about three major cities in the United States that one could think about this, right? Where the wrong things, whether it be money or fame or power, lead one to <laughs> focus uh, less, thank you, Billy, lead one to focus less on authentic greatness and more on superficial greatness. Now, there is a movement, you know, even in, in all places, um, to to encourage people, celebrities, to have more value and to be more vocal about their values and less about their bodies. But the reality is that you know that is the struggle that that happens within the element of fire. And if you think about all of the real bad character traits, I think that it becomes self evident that all negative character traits really plug back in to one of these four elements. It's either coming from earth, 
And that's going to be jealousy, sadness, depression, insecurity, um, all of those things. Laziness is all going to fall into the earth element. Anything that is connected to lust or pleasure is going to be rooted in the water element. Anything that has to do with um, confusion, mixed up thinking, lack of focus, distraction is going to be connected to the wind element. Um, and anything that has to do with pride or arrogance or ego is going to be connected to the fire element. So those are the four elements. I'll pause again to take a sip of my coffee. And during that time, if you want to ask them, Adrian, yeah. All right. Okay, so now let's take a look back at the handout. So we have over here. This over here, these are the four elements again, and this is where the struggles are. And this is the positive aspects of it. And we'll speak about these a little bit more as we go through the story of the Exodus. Again, over here, we won't spend that much time on this chart, but these are the four elements again in the book of Beratius. Like we said, earth connected to Cain and Hevel, water with the generation of the flood, wind, the Tower of Babylon, fire, Sodom. And over here, this is how, this is the breakdown of how our patriarchs and matriarchs, how they came along and they elevated all of those elements. We're not going to speak about that. Um, that's again, the main theme of the book coming out and hopefully, hopefully the publisher stays on their timeline. I hope that that will be out in May, but what, what our topic is, we want to speak about it, how we see it in the, in Egypt. So let's first look at how these things all connected to our enslavement in Egypt. And once we see how these things connected to our enslavement in Egypt, then we can now go through the four different stages of redemption and show how each level, each stage of redemption connects to each one of those elements. But let's first see where it is in the enslavement before we see it in the redemption. So obviously, if we want to look at earth, it's very easy to see the way we envision the enslavement. What do we, how do we imagine it? We imagine the Jewish people sitting there with an Egyptian on top, holding a whip and the Jew is pushing a brick ahead and try to, you know, build, build a pyramid. And we know even on top of that, we know that a lot of the, this whole major construction project that the Egyptians engaged in much of it, according to the Medrash as well, wasn't actually going to lead to any real building of cities. A lot of it was just busy work. In fact, according to the, to, to the Midrash, and again, I'm not saying this because of the historical value of this. I'm saying it because packed in the words of our sages is such a profound lesson here. According, the Medrash says that when the Jewish people were building the cities, the specific cities, if you remember, they were called Pitom and Ramses. Um, Ramses is a, is, is a very famous word in ancient uh, Egyptian history, but they built these cities. And according to the Midrash, these cities were not even cities that were able to stand. It wasn't on ground, it was on quicksand. It was on ground where it couldn't, where, where it couldn't even remain. So a Jew would, would sit there and put a couple of weeks of effort into building the structure, and then the structure would just collapse. So the physical enslavement, if we want to take it beyond the historical aspect of it. And we want to say, what does this represent in our journey? For us, the physical slavery, that is our struggle within the earth element. If anyone is in a job 
that they don't love. And they're doing a job only because they know that they have to pay the bills. Then every single day, they're going to wake up and they're going to say, I'm a slave. Uh, what am I a slave to? I'm a slave to my rent. I'm a slave to the grocery bill, you know, whatever it is. So that, that's physical slavery in our time. It doesn't mean that a human being is forcing you to work, but it's what they call the golden handcuffs. And they usually say the golden handcuffs when a person has a really, really good job, but they're so unhappy and they don't want to leave their job even though they're miserable or their family's falling apart and they don't want to leave their job. And that's something that's very real. So the physical slavery of Egypt is meant to represent in our own life the feeling of being a slave to the bills, being in a job or living a life that you don't feel has purpose. And when you wake up in the morning, you're not enthused about how you're going to spend your day. You're just like, another day, like, how am I going to fill the time? Or do I have to go to work? Or do I have to engage in this? That's the first aspect of slavery. That's the earth aspect of slavery in Egypt. Does, is that connect, do you see that connection? Is that connection clear? Okay, so that's the earth element. That's the earth aspect of it. <coughs> the next aspect is the water. And again, most of us, I believe, at our Seder, we focus on the earth element because, again, that we think back to the movies that we watched and the way we were taught, and that's the easiest thing to connect to because we have this image in our head of the Jewish people in Egypt, you know, sitting there to have, having to do physical labor. But we need to remember that was not the main purpose. It's not why God made us go through this difficult slavery. There were other aspects. There were other enslavements happening. The second is water. We said that water is connected to the struggle between lust and love. And according to the Midrash, Egypt was one of the most immoral places that there were on earth. We know that even from the Torah itself, the very fact that when Abraham went down to, both when, 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 when Abraham went down to Egypt and then when Joseph went down to Egypt, we know the first account that they both had to encounter was someone trying to, you know, seduce. Abraham almost lost his wife. Joseph uh, had, uh, had his, his master's wife try to seduce him. But that was telling about the overall Egyptian culture as being a, a very, very immoral place. And enslavement to our lust is something that's also real. Because anyone that has become addicted to something that gives them physical pleasure and the physical pleasure dr therefore drowns out any pain that they have, they escape into the world through any physical pleasure that is enslavement also. I'm enslaved to the food that I eat, even though it's not healthy. I'm enslaved to whatever else might be uh, some addiction, which, which gives my body a thrill and therefore makes me make bad decisions. So being in that Egyptian environment where there was so much lust, that was the second aspect of slavery. And part of the Jewish people going through the Egyptian slavery was for them to stay true to their family values. Right? When you are, uh, you know, when you're on a vacation or you might be driving someplace and then, you know, there's, there, there's 
there's that billboard up on the side of the road that makes you blush or that makes your kids blush. And you'll just, you know, that's, that means that, that that's what we're speaking about by being in a place where there is so much of an emphasis on, on sexuality, on indulgement, indulgence. That's the second aspect of slavery that happened in Egypt. That's the water aspect of slavery. The next was wind. So we know that Egypt was a place of falsehood. We, we said that it's connected to speech. You know that Pharaoh, Paro, right? The Pharaoh. If you take the Hebrew word Paro, you break it up into its letters and you jumble it a little bit. It spells para, evil speech. And we know that the same way that the wind element is about bringing people together in communication to have meaningful conversations, we know that one of the main goals of Egypt was to spread the Jewish people out as much as they could, that they could not converse, that they could not spend time with one another engaging in meaningful conversation, but that they would become attracted to more of a frivolous life full of levity that that they had in Egypt. The equivalent of that in our modern day might be just the fact that instead that instead of being in tune with what's true if you think about false right with the whole the major buzzword of the last couple of years was fake news fake news right fake news or information that is being used to manipulate the masses that's enslavement of the wind element you're not allowing me to think for myself you're trying to manipulate my thinking you're trying to fill, you know, like we saw in the social dilemma, for those who saw the social dilemma, right? You're trying to only connect me with a community that believes the exact same things that I believe and filter out anyone that doesn't believe anything so that when I meet someone who doesn't believe the same thing that I believe, I think that they're, from, that, that they're just from another planet. Because everything is so carefully curated to feed me more and more and more and more and more about what I already believe or what they want me to believe or, you know, to buy into their narrative. So that's the enslavement of wind. And finally, the enslavement of fire, which we already said, and Egypt was like this also. Egypt, as we know, was the wealthiest country that there was. Egypt did not need rain. Egypt relied solely on the Nile, and because the Nile would overflow naturally, Egypt always had the most crops, and people came from far and wide because of the abundance that was in Egypt. And it was because of this that the Egyptians came to believe that somehow they had an in with the gods. Pharaoh himself believed that he was a deity, that he had godliness in him. So therefore, they had become so arrogant because of the fact that they were independent of any rain. Because they had so much abundance, they became so arrogant to the point that they saw themselves as gods. Like many people on Wall Street, or many people in Hollywood, or Silicon Valley, or Washington, D.C. That was enslavement of the aspect of fire. And for the Jewish people, they were, as we're going to see in next week's class, for the Jewish people, their exodus had to be rejecting, obviously leaving their enslavement, which was the earth element, but also rejecting the immorality, the water element of Egypt, rejecting the falsehood and the evil speech, the wind element of Egypt, and rejecting the materialism that was so much a part of Egyptian culture. That's the element of fire.
And now once we understand how all of these things existed in Egypt, now we can start to take a closer look. This is what we'll do next week. We'll take a closer look at the four different stages and we'll show how these struggles are really at play within all of those four stages. But again, I think now hopefully we have clarity on the elements and we have clarity on how all of those elements were the focus of the struggle of the enslavement of Egypt. Okay, any questions before we wrap this up? Todaraba, thank you all for joining. I hope this made any sense. And if you have any confusion, you know how to find me. Send me an email. I'm happy to clarify things a little bit more. Wishing everyone an awesome, amazing day. You're welcome, Lori. Good to see you. Bye, Jamie. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast and you can always go to rabbishlomo.com for more great content and resources and to connect directly with me.